It's the second Sunday in Advent, and I'm thinking about the Immaculate Conception. Many people think that the Immaculate Conception refers to the conception of Jesus because Jesus was immaculately conceived. Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and not by Joseph, if you know what I mean. But that's not the Immaculate Conception. That's the Annunciation. The Immaculate Conception refers to Mary herself. Mary was immaculately conceived. She was conceived without sin. We get this because the angel Gabriel greets her by saying that she is full of grace. That means that she is not in a state of original sin. She is in a state of original grace. But it doesn't mean that she didn't need salvation. She is conceived without sin because by the cross of Jesus Christ, Mary was saved before she was conceived. It's kind of trippy, I know, but amazing. And so Mary is the Immaculate Conception. The feast day on December 8th is a great opportunity for us to reflect on the life of Mary and her yes to God. It's a great day for us to consider how we can imitate Mary and by her prayers, we can imitate her holiness and submission to Jesus and his divine will. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. And I'm Emily Callen. So, um, a reminder once again, if you missed any part of this program, so this is like, a, this is like the, the repeating record. If you miss any part of this program or if you, you want to share it with somebody or you can't remember the name of the artist or the guest, where do they go, Emily? I don't. I don't oh, know. Come My, on, I don't know. Come I, on. I'm going blank old. right now. The joke's getting, getting old. old. Shoot. Okay. Well, I'll try to have to come up with something better next week then. So, what's our website? So She's shaking <laughs> her head. I'm so sorry. She's shaking her head. I this wanted is to terrible. come up with something a little she more. She can't original. come up with something more original. Um, <laughs> <I don't> it, <laughs> Emily clearly doesn't know, but I don't it's know. Google salt. Yeah, you could Google salt and light. You could Google Deacon Pedro. You could Google Emily Callan. Or you could just go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio. I don't know. Googling people is a little risky, Pedro. It is, actually. Um, and if people want to find Emily, where do they find you? On uh, Twitter. Yes. At Emmy Callen. And if they want to find me, I'm also on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. That's great. A great way to, to keep in touch with me. And the last thing I want to say before we kick off this amazing program for today is that Salt and Light has a magazine. Yes. Tell us about the magazine, Emily, because you're a contributor. Yes, I am. Um, so the the theme of the magazine is dialogue. Dialogue. So all about, um, you know, it was obviously inspired by Pope Francis and him being a pope of dialogue uh-huh. and building bridges. And so most of our articles have to do with that. So how we build dialogue with each other, um, with, you know, different groups of people, like how... Yeah, like um, ecumenical dialogue, ecumenical dialogue. With, with Jewish people, exactly. and, and, and things like that. You exactly. wrote two articles. What were the two articles you wrote? Yeah, so um, I wrote one on prayer and okay. dialogue, uh, I guess. right dialogue, yeah. and the other one will saints and prayer so basically how to dialogue with god and also okay. how have the saints maybe struggled um yeah, with dialogue good. so if you want to re- read a little bit of that that's mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of that they can read all of that yes. and, and much more yeah. it's the salt night magazine we put out the magazine i think once a year usually around advent and as emily yeah. said the the theme this year is dialogue so there's i mean there's all kinds of stuff in the magazine but that's the theme so a lot of the articles have to do with dialogue and you should be able to 
find the magazine online, online. at what website? <laughs> okay, fine. I'll say the real thing. <laughs> saltandlighttv.org. Okay, so saltandlighttv.org. Yeah. You can find the magazine. Yes. If you want a hard copy, you can also contact us through the website yep. and we can mail you a hard copy. Or you, we can mail you a box and you can put them out Give at, them in to your, your parish. Yeah, or your friends. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, so um, that's the magazine, saltandlighttv.org. Today, Danny Torquia is back with us. He will be here to give us some basic marketing tips. He's our public relations expert. Um, so marketing tips for parish and, and Catholic organizations. That's in about 15 minutes. Then connect five with Sebastian. He's going to be speaking with Fouad Toal. Do you know who he is? Yes. He's Well, the former patriarch yes, he's of the Jerusalem. For- Very good. Yes. The, yeah, he's the retired Latin patriarch of Jerusalem. So mm-hmm. they're going to be speaking about Pope Francis's first uh, trip to the Holy Land. That's at the end of the first half hour. And in our second half hour, we're going to be speaking about photography, hmm. specifically about photographing the saints. So Photographing the saints. Yeah, so it's really neat. It's actually really neat. Um, and uh, you're intrigued now, so you have to kind of, you know, you're going to have to stay tuned and, and find out. We're going to be speaking with photographer Kristen Brown, and she's going to tell us about her saints project. And our featured artist this week is a composer and conductor. He's also a jazz pianist, J.J. Wright. Mm-hmm. He's going to to tell us about a wonderful new album that's titled O Emmanuel, published by Dynamic Catholic. Um, that's a great name for a jazz player. JJ Wright. Yeah, yeah, it's just such yeah. a. <laughs> yeah, he's got a jazz name. Um, um, and uh, so he composed all the music for this album. It's, 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 I'm not going to tell you about it now because mm-hmm. you need to stay tuned and listen to the interview. It's, it's this really neat combination of jazz, jazz improvisation, classical, and sacred music. Um, and JJ Wright mm-hmm. is a Grammy Award winning pianist, conductor, and composer. Um, and they were, he worked with the Notre Dame Children's Choir. Didn't know they had a children's choir, but Notre Dame University has a children's choir and a chamber music group called the Fifth House Ensemble. It's this great album. Anyway, so um, and it's Advent, so we can start playing Advent music and, and sort of Christmas music. Um, so let's begin with a song. Here is Gabriel's Message from O Emmanuel featuring the Notre Dame Children's Choir and the Fifth House Ensemble conducted and directed and composed by J.J. Wright.
That was Gabriel's message from O Emmanuel, featuring the Notre Dame Children's Choir and the Fifth House Ensemble. And we're going to be speaking with the composer and conductor of that album, J.J. Wright, in our second half hour. But first, Emily is still here with me. It's been a busy week and weekend and it lots going been. on. Yes, yes, he has been. Lots of meetings. Yes. Also, it was the first Sunday of Advent. Mm-hmm. And so um, the Pope's schedule for December and January was, was released. Right. And they also um, received their Christmas tree, the Vatican received right. the Christmas tree. And so every year yeah. they put it up in St. Peter's Square. It's not lit yet, but they're, you know, in the process of decorating it and it will be lit on December 9th all the way, I believe, to January 8th. Yes. Um, and so anyone who's in Rome, I guess, gets to, yeah. gets gets to, to see it. it. Yeah, or you well, can go online there, and find actually. pictures yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, that's right. It's, it's like an 82 foot tall yeah, Christmas great. tree. Um Another thing as well, there's also a nativity scene that mm-hmm. the Vatican will be receiving, and this time it comes from the island of Malta, uh-huh. and uh, and there's the the nativity also includes a replica of a Maltese boat, uh, essentially representing um, the journey that More migrants have to do, yeah. you know, to cross the sea to wow. uh, to Italy. Interesting. Yeah. Another thing as well, uh, so the Vatican also released the Holy Father's message for the 54th World Day of Prayer for Vocations, okay. which is usually marked after Easter. So we're kind of like a long ways away from it. Right. But on May 7th, 2017 is the World Day of Prayer for Vocations. And uh, essentially, this day is a day um, of well, I mean, it's kind of said in the, in the right, title on the right. day, but, you know, vocations. and mostly priestly and, and religious vocations. Right, yeah. um, and so the title of this message is called Led by the Spirit for Mission. And the Pope is, is saying that all Christians are called to mission. It's kind of part of the, mm-hmm. the Catholic identity to be missionary. And so we can't forget that aspect of our faith either, which is which also requires lots of prayer and contemplation. Right. Um, another thing as well. Now, we've... I'm sure we've all heard of this movie Silence uh, coming out by Martin Scorsese, which has been in the making for many, well, many, many years. I think years. a lot of people maybe have not heard no, of it, but okay. I have. Yeah, yeah. Yes, okay, well, yes. so have I. So this yes. uh, this film that is coming out, by um, directed by Martin Scorsese, has been in the making for yes. over yes. 20, many years. And uh, it tells the story of uh, Jesuit missionaries in Japan in the 17th century who were persecuted. Right. And it's based on a book by Japanese author Shusaku Endo. And uh, there was a screening of the film in Rome this past week. And so Martin Scorsese and his family and the producer of the film got to meet Pope Francis. They talked Great. for 15 minutes. And the wow. Pope said, you know, I read the book and I even like, oh, really? wanted to be a missionary in Japan when huh. I was younger. But because of health reasons, uh, he wasn't able to. Um, so that's kind of a neat thing, you know. Yeah. And um, he also met another prominent figure this past week, yes. uh, Stephen Hawking. Yes. Um, because he was a part of a plenary session that the Pontifical Academy of Sciences uh, was holding for a few days. And yeah. their main focus this past uh, week was on sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Pope got to address the the members um, of the plenary session, and uh, and so afterwards greeted Stephen Hawking. Yes, so great. So there you go. That's a news update for this week. Thank you, Emily, for uh, details on anything that's happening in the Vatican. You can watch Emily on Vatican Connections every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. It's all really easy to find at saltandlighttv.org <laughs> yes. and also on our Roku channel. Hi, I'm Mark Mallon, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with your great host, Deacon Pedro. 
I'm Deacon Pedro. You can stay in touch with what's happening on this program by following me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for Media Ministry Minutes with Danny Torquia. Danny, welcome back to the program. Hello, Deacon Pedro. What a joy to be with you guys. What a joy to have you. I have a question for you, my friend. And, and maybe this yes. just shows a little bit of my ignorance, but I'm always confused. What is the difference? You, you're a, you, you have a public relations firm. Um, what is the difference between public relations or publicity and marketing? Like all those three things. Well, pub- publicity is a subset of public relations, at least normally a subset of public relations agency. And it, it, you can call it media relations as well. Some people throw in something, a word like earned media or journal, and it's obviously working with journalists, working with editorial people who write stuff, whether it's for radio, TV, print, uh, fielding stories, and uh, publicity is giving them access to an organization, a diocese, a charity, a company, so that you can produce content for the news or lifestyle editorial media. That's what I would call publicity. Okay. Nowadays, you include you got to include bloggers and a little bit of uh, social journalists. Yeah. yeah. And social, but but public relations. Is, is a function is, a, is a, a function in an organization where you're just trying to make sure you have harmonious relationships with all the different different audience groups or stakeholders that have a stake in your mission and, and you manage good relationships with them through behavior communications listening through a variety of tactics and tools and skills but so public relations is, is harder to it's less tangible, harder to, 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 to size up and put in a cup like media relations or publicity, right. but it is critical, and it includes internal communications, it includes right. um, uh, you know, neighborhood or community in, uh, investment or involvement, it includes uh, stakeholders, government, uh, and it includes media relations. And marketing, right. I mean, mar- marketing, the simplest definition is, is the four or five Ps which is the core of what you would do as an organization, which is what's your service or product? What's your place of distribution? Or how do you get your service or your product to the market? What's your price? What's your promotion in general? And who are your public? So marketing is more related to the actual product, like if you're in a marketplace, but right up, right from conception of your product or service. Okay, so marketing, like advertising, is what I think of when advertising I think of marketing. Well, I think that's a mistake, and I, I think uh, recently I was invited to go to Ottawa to participate in a retreat for a board a charity, of a Catholic charity, and we were discussing marketing. Yeah. And, and too many people think of marketing as, how's our logo, how's our slogan, how's our branding, and how's our ads, our ad, or social, tell me about social. They, they're, they're stuck in these minutia, uh, smaller elements that seem to be important. Yes, they are important. But before that, what's my product like, and is it servicing a need? And how am I making my product or service available? And and then what is it? What's the research base? What are people really wanting my product? Is it priced properly, or is it is the investment? So in the church, we're not always dealing with price points, but there's a cost to travel to the church or a cost to participate in a fundraiser or a gala. That's part of the core elements of marketing. So marketing is is very core. Public relations would go second to marketing, and then I think advertising or Publicity is really tertiary or, you know, later in the minutia, in the weeds. Okay, so if you were to sort of unpack that a little more, let's say uh, I'm in a parish. Does mar- where does marketing fit in at a parish level? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I st- the, the, the genesis for me for marketing is start with the need in 
the community. Or in my, in my business school at McGill in Mar- Montreal, I studied marketing. The, the core principle that left a mark with me was, what's the need in the marketplace? So you've you got to understand, where is there a malaise, in, as you say in French? Where yeah. is there a problem? Where is there a need for, for our services or our product? And, and I think what I'm, why I wanted to talk to you about this topic, why I'm so excited, is because the church um, can, could, would do well to rethink the marketing core P, four Ps or five Ps of our faith or our charities. But let's start with the faith. Uh-huh. There's a huge need for, for joy. There's a huge need for balance and purpose. We, if we di- dissect and do an exercise in marketing for the faith, I think we'd be so full of optimism because the need in the marketplace or in our world is screaming at us right. to help us. And so that, that would help us define, okay, well, what is the faith and how does the faith how is, what is the faith to respond to that? How can we respond to that need? And then how do we deliver it, which is a reflection on place of distribution? Right. I think we need to re—you know what? I was thinking of this, Deacon Pedro, just re, even rethinking the value of the parish hall and how much money goes into the parish hall. Perhaps we should, we should consolidate parish hall distribution in our communities and then invest a little bit more in online forums or online platforms mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you know a parish hall is no is what is a parish hall was to people 200 years ago what a website is for people today or right. or, or a social right media. the par- the parish hall and the bulletin is what it used to yes, be yes those are yeah those are great solutions for they must have been uh, examples of great innovation in the 17th century 18th century i, I don't mean to diss a bulletin but it was an innovation innovative thing yeah. many years ago yeah what is the innovation where people gather today well we know it's emails we know it's kids it's snapchat or or texting or facebook messenger uh, or or anything else that's with their phone and maybe it's also the parish pool hall. I mean, we got not sorry, not parish, the community pool hall or the community Starbucks. Right. I don't want to promote Starbucks, but there's new ways to reach Tim people. Tim Hortons, yes. And uh, Tim Hortons for Canada. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But we have to rethink that. And certainly, the digital continent is not being serviced fully well by our tr- our faith yet. And so we need to rethink about marketing at its core, the, the need and then the four or five Ps. Okay, so so you talked about place in terms of delivery. You talked about public in terms of who. Um, a product being the faith, I guess that's maybe we can also focus. The faith is like the big product, but maybe there are specific things like like the word or scripture or, or different aspects of the faith, um, sacraments. What about price? How does price fit in? Well, well, a price has to actually, but before we go into price, I just want to say product, of course, the sacraments are the sacraments and, and the Holy Eucharist and communion and church. Uh, we're not going to mess with certain things, unta- untouchables. But how are we welcoming people? What are we doing before right. Mass, after Mass, in between services or, or, or Masses? Um, we have to really think about the product not just being the, the Holy Eucharist. It's really the community and reaching out. It could even be visits to the home or groups. And, and I love the CWL. My wife's a member Catholic Women's League, and I'm a member of the Knights. Yep. Those are good. But how are we reaching the young people? Right. And so we need a redefin—just re, be more creative. And, and I think we're missing a generation of young people to help us. So, okay, so if we had more young—yeah, let's get some youth into our creativity, and then maybe we can have modern solutions to the product beyond the sacraments and the, the liturgy of the Word and all that. Right. And then, so then price? Okay, so price— I, I would think it's the cost of uh, probably the, the, the barriers to entry. Like how how do I feel when I come in? Am I am I am I is my is it 
in terms of how easy it is, is it for uh. me to feel community? How easy it is? What's the cost for me? Um, not a price thing. More of my my time, my comfort level. Yeah, my, I see. Uh, you know, maybe it's sort of a commitment. Obviously, we want people to participate in the mass and, and the, uh, the weekly obligation. Yeah, I see. I but see. But let's start with casting the net wide to for them to attend right uh, an, an event or a, a dialogue, like maybe them sending us an email that costs less of their time. Right. I, I hate to say it. But time is, is a big currency. Yeah. People have little time. Yeah, that's an issue with, with the coffee after mass. People don't want to stay. But I, I would say the price also has to do with value. What is the value of what you're offering? Um, and But just because we're running out of time, not that I want to rush you, but so, and promotion was the other P. So promotion would be how you let people know about these all these things? Yes, but promotion is definitely where media relations or publicity fits in, where advertising fits in, branding. And and that is critical. I mean, we have to look at all of that as our for our parishes and how we communicate. And does our parish have a very good uh, email database or a blog? Um, those are critical things. And I, and I think for price, just to go back there, are yeah. we really extending hospitality to people? When people come in, we we have to make it so so cheap, so like common currency that they get a hello, that they get right. a, a handshake, that they we ask them people questions. You know, where do you live? Uh, how far do you live? It's just we have to get people to um, give us some of their feedback, give us some of their thoughts or concerns gratuitously, generously. That's an easy way to lower the cost of coming to church so that it feels just super comfortable. Like if they're coming back to their mom's hug. Yeah. Mom's, no. bo- mom's bosoms. They use the, the bosom which, embrace of a person. <laughs> which, is, which, is, which is appropriate because that's what the church is. Our mother, Pope Francis, tells us that all the time. Danny, we need to leave it there. I know people are hungry. That's the need. So if you want to know more, this doesn't just apply to your parish. It applies to any, your Catholic organization, your school, your community, anything that you feel that you have a product, I guess, if we want to call it that, to deliver. So contact Danny at Dan Torquia. If you can't reach him, call us here at Salt and Light. You know, look for me, Deacon Pedro, and we'll we'll hook you up because because Danny's there to help. Daniel, thank you so much. Uh, yep, my, my the, pleasure. The five P's of marketing: product, price, place, promotion, and public. Danny Torquia, our public relations expert. He's also the managing director at Torquia Communications. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Torquia. Hi, this is Megs, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. How are you going to spend the next five minutes of your time? How about listening in, meeting a fascinating person, and learning something relevant that will broaden your perspective? Sit down with Sebastian Gomes and go straight to the heart of the matter. Here's Connect 5. Today, Sebastian speaks with the retired Latin patriarch of Jerusalem, Fouad Kual, about Pope Francis' first visit to the Holy Land. Beatitude, we often hear about the Christians of the Middle East, especially in, in Syria, a place like Syria and Iraq, but there's also a significant Christian population here in the Holy Land uh, where you reside. Uh, tell us a little bit about what we need to know about the current situation, especially of the Christians here in the Holy Land. Before all, we are grateful for your presence here and more than ever in our daily life here, we need more salt and more light <laughs> to give test to our life here. What is painful these days that uh, the international focus, world focus, 
attention is no more on our Holy Land. It is painful because they, it is about Syria, Iraq, uh, ISIS, and so on, and we are a little bit forgotten when the situation is always the same, maybe worse than before. Uh, we are thankful for your presence, for your, your closeness to us. We like you to be here. We don't like to be alone in this mission. We like, don't like to be forgotten. Our situation the same, uh, otherwise it is worse. Uh, the Christians here, the integral part of the population, we haven't a ghetto-called Christian, ghetto-Christian uh, zone, Christian region. They are all together with the others. But when we have a checkpoint, when we have any problem, the, the Israeli military soldier will never ask whether you are a Christian or not. It is enough to be Palestinian, Arab, to have the same treatment. Never the good, the good treatment, yeah. Uh, the walls, 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 walls. The normal thing becomes normal in our in our life. Uh, to have walls in a city, it is a scandal. Now it is no more scandal. It is part of our life. Uh, when we need more bridges, we need more collaboration, more trust, more understanding, more more dignity for everybody. We are living this situation. And the worst for us, the painful for us, and when nobody speaks about, you cannot read any article now about occupation, about walls, about checkpoint, you cannot read. We are forgotten. All the attention is, is, is elsewhere in the Middle East here. Yeah. Speaking about immigration and refugees, we are very grateful for Canada. We saw on the television how Canada was generous to welcome a thousand and thousand of refugees. We saw people weeping in the airport. We appreciate your politic and please convey our, our wishes and gratitude to the government and to the church, local church government for what they are doing for the refugees. We are in one way expect in refugees in Jordan, between 15 and 20 percent from the inhabitants, from the population are refugees whether from Syria or from Iraq. The last group from Iraq who came were seven, 8,000 Christian Iraqi people. We were very happy to receive them. They were, they were a good example for us. They lost everything in Iraq. They never lost faith. That was really, we are grateful for them. Though they are a burden for us in one meaning, we have to provide to find everything for them, and house and eating and school and so on and so on. It was a big challenge, but the church through Caritas Jordan gave a very good example of welcoming, of charity, of solidarity. And I'm proud to say what we did in Jordan through Caritas for these refugees. But in the same time, they give us more than what we give them. They give us this faith, strong faith. They lost everything, never they lost the faith. That was Sebastian Gomes speaking with the retired Latin patriarch of Jerusalem, Fuad Tual. You can watch this and more interviews at saltandlighttv.org slash connect5. 
coming up in our second half hour, Photographing the Saints, and a featured conversation with composer and conductor J.J. Wright, so don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. What's your idea of the saints? Do you imagine them to be super holy and otherworldly? Or do you imagine them to be ordinary, like you and me? When you think of them, are you thinking of the halos and the brilliance? Are they all white and blonde? Or do you see yourself in those images? I've always imagined the saints to be ordinary. I imagined them with warts and all. So that's one reason why I was drawn to the Saints Project by photographer Kristen Brown. Obviously, she's not taking photos of real saints, but using average-looking present-day models in her portrayals of the saints. And if you're intrigued, stay tuned, because joining me now is the woman behind the Saints Project, Kristen Brown. Kristen, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, so this is obviously radio. People can't see the project. They can't see the photos. So how would you describe uh, the Saints Project? When I go to the website, what am I seeing? I would say that you're seeing, some people call it a live action portrayal, or I usually say a modern portrayal of Catholic saints using, it's a photography, so I I dress people in the particular state that I am um, shooting, uh-huh. and um, and then I shoot that person with a digital camera, and then I load it into Photoshop and try to create an environment that looks like it could have been from that time. Okay, so you so the environment is actually so you're shooting it like on a green screen or a, or a a back I guess I don't know I, I'm in film so we do use a green screen so mm-hmm. the background and everything is created on the computer through Photoshop. Sometimes it is. Sometimes um, I'll pull in some clouds or um, you know like clouds that I've taken pictures of clouds I've taken on a different day or uh-huh. a different um, landscape. But sometimes I'll put them in the actual place that I want them to be in and then just Photoshop it to kind of look um, painterly or have a, have a certain kind of style that I'm going for. Right. Okay, so then how did you come, mm-hmm. up, with, how did you come up with this idea? How did you start doing these? Um, it was probably a, like a five years coming sort of thing. I struggled for a long time with... Um, using photography to glorify God in my way, in the way that I felt was still me. Uh-huh. Um, and it was really a long struggle for me, but it was really one day I kind of just was sitting there, was talking to my mom. She said something about St. Sebastian. And all of a sudden I just had this idea of um, doing a photo kind of realistic looking type images you know, they've been done so many times as far as paintings are concerned, but yeah. never really a photo series when it's really kind of relevant, modern, and current, and using real people. Right. Um, and so it really just happened instantly in my mind, and then I had, a, I thought, oh, I could do this for the rest of my life, you know? There's so, so many. So so you had this idea mm-hmm. of doing St. Sebastian, and what, you went and found some guy, or you asked someone you knew, and you dressed him up, and as or undressed him up as St. Sebastian, <laughs> yeah, and I know, then right? <laughs> you had him pose. How... how how was that? I guess you can talk about St. Sebastian, but I guess you've done so many. So what is the process? Um, like, how do you prepare for a shoot? Yeah. Well, I guess it's, it depends on the saint and, and what um, they looked like, what they wore. You know, if it was a Carmelite nun, you know, it's a lot different than if it was somebody like St. Sebastian. So I, at first it usually starts with either a saint that I have in my mind that I can't stop thinking about and I'm waiting to find the right person to fit along with that. 
or the other way around as a person I met or a person I know and I just need to find the right thing for them. And then when I do and it feels right, um, I will just start finding the right pieces of clothing or go start looking for the right place to shoot them and and then it sort of just comes together kind of slowly. Sometimes it takes a while until it's really ready to go out and, and shoot that person and then it takes another couple of days until the final product is done. It sounds like you would have to uh, um, do research. I mean, you need to find out who the saint was and what, what their life was like, what historical period they lived in, um, and, and yeah. then decide what, if it's like a live action shoot, like what is that mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. in that saint's life that you're trying to capture? Yeah, yeah, there is a lot of that. For each saint, I try to do, I try to find out as much about them as I can. And I also like to incorporate them into my prayer as well and right. see if there's any particular thing that I am feeling God wanting me to sort of bring out. You know, um, for Joan of Arc was a good one. I have a, I love Joan of Arc. And okay. um, I kept thinking of the moment after, like her victory, her victory moment kind uh-huh. of. And, um, and so I really wanted to kind of try to capture that in, in that particular image. So yeah, there's a lot of reading, a lot of finding out about them and, and sort of becoming friends, I guess, you know, I kind of feel like right. I have relationships with them afterwards. Yeah. Right. I was going to ask you about Joan of Arc because if you go to your website, that's the logo. It's the image of Joan of Arc, your, your image yeah, of Joan yeah. of Arc. Um, <laughs> cause I was going to also ask you, what is your favorite saint? So would you say Joan of Arc? She's definitely one of them. I mean, it's really hard to pick just to pick one, one now. I, know. I have, I know. yeah, I, there's so many. I love Padre Pio. I love St. Peter and Joan of Arc. And yeah, it's hard. Um, how do you find the person? Like, can I, can I call you and say, Hey, I, I, I want you to take a picture of me as my favorite saint. Um, and then you can help me pick, I don't know, St. Ignatius. Cause I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. is that something that you would do or do you, is it more your own idea of what this saint would have looked like? I mean, so far it's been my my interpretation. Okay. You know, I usually am the one going up to someone and saying, oh, you know, would you mind doing this thing for me? Um, but there have been a few people who have reached out to me and said, could I be a part of it? And then I, I, I've said, yeah, let me find the right thing for you. And then sometimes it takes months, you know, before I get back to them and say, oh, this, you know, this one. Blessed Imelda was one of them. Okay. Um, a woman reached out to me and said, I would love for my daughter, you know, to be in this. And I, I said, okay, well, give me some time. And then I, um, it was months later, um, I came across Blessed Amel, and I was like, oh, she would be perfect for this. So then, you know, we followed through with that. Yeah, you have some some saints there, like Imelda, that I hadn't heard about before. That, so that's kind of cool yeah. as well. Why, mm-hmm. why are saints important? Why even do this with saints? Well, I guess for me, I, it's very personal. You know, it almost feels like, some of it is for myself. I grew up, I was cradle Catholic. I grew up very Catholic. Um, but whenever I was going through any kind of struggles in my life, the saints were always the ones that I, I would say kept me Catholic, you know, because I just couldn't understand how they could live their lives so dedicated. Like I almost felt like they knew something that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And that just their, their faith, you know, was just extraordinary to me. And, and each story is so interesting and, and unique and everything that they bring to the table and what they did for God was just kind of unbelievable in a lot, a lot of them, you know? Yeah. And so I just feel like as a young person and in in the generation of, of, you know, young people now, um, 
we sort of have this idea that the saints are far away, they're old, they're boring. And, um, and when we, we read about them, we find out that, first of all, they're not at all boring. You know, I mean, Joan of Arc was just unbelievable. She's just crazy cool. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and the things that she's, she's done was just amazing and all of them really. Um, yeah. So so I just wanted that to be, to become kind of, um, something that young people would understand is that they're not old, they're, they're now and they're you, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you also say in, in your kind of vision statement that you also want to create community. Well, how does that aspect of the project work? Um, I, I wanted to do something that involved other people and involved other people all the time. You know, right. so for me, I think with photography, a lot of the time you can shoot self portraits, you can shoot objects, you can do things that make it really about you and what you, um, want and what you what you're doing your own feelings as an artist um but i really wanted it to be more about what god wanted me to do and what god wanted all of us to do together you know what i mean and and so to just have that person in the position of the saint and have them you know bring something to the project as well and then to just repeat that over and over again you know and yeah have have as many people involved as I could yeah for sure now mm-hmm. uh, one last question you're the photographer clearly I know where you stand you stand behind the camera but mm-hmm. have, have you done one yeah. are you one of the saints or no would you do I one? haven't <laughs> I don't know I mean I I've thought about it there's a couple things that I you know that I love and that I feel connected to yeah um, but then when it comes time to doing that it just never felt quite right so I haven't done one yet no and I, I guess and I guess I, I guess uh, one last question now that you made me think how do the 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 your subjects your models I guess how do they respond to to this experience of having to stand in I mean the the young woman who you have in several portraits as Mary first of all she's beautiful yeah. and like mm-hmm. she must that experience for her must be a very unique experience as well yeah, she was. In, that was an incredible story. I'll try to make it super quick. Um, I was looking for a Mary. I had. I really wanted to shoot Mary images, and her name is Maria Cahill. She was actually Miss Delaware, 2011. Okay. And I saw her do a, a talk, a pro-life talk on YouTube or something, and I had never met her before. And I, um, I had to reach out to her. I just felt like she was the right wow. person, so I did. And eventually, yeah, she she agreed to do it. We met up a bunch of times, and she, you know, she's incredibly devout. She's really amazing. And um, her experience, yeah, I asked her, how do you, you seem like you change, like something happens when you're portraying Mary, yeah. all these images, they come out really beautiful, you know? And um, and she, her her experience, you know, from sitting in front of the camera is just, she's constantly just praying the whole time, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and so I know not everybody's doing that, you know, some people are more connected to their faith than others. Um, but it seems like people are honored to portray a saint, you know, yeah. even the people who aren't necessarily... Uh, very religious or even Catholic, like they, and that that always says something to me that these people they can see that it's an honor, you know, to be right to be portraying someone so incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we got to leave it there, but this is so exciting. I I, okay. I hope you can think. I'm going to send you a picture of me, and you can tell me if you can think of if you think I look like Saint <laughs> Ignatius or someone, and you, you can take a picture of me. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Thank you, Kristen. This is this, right. is this is this is great. Thank you for doing. <laughs> it, it sounds like it's a lot of fun, and uh, I, I, the it images are beautiful. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Kristen Brown is a photographer and the creator of The Saints Project. You can look at her photographs and purchase them at the website, thesaintsproject.org. Here now is our featured artist of the week, J.J. Wright, conducting the Notre Dame Children's Choir and the Fifth House Ensemble with When the Sun Rises in the Morning Sky. 
from the new album, O Emmanuel.
That was When the Sun Rises in the Morning Sky from the new Advent and Christmas album, O Emmanuel. It's been described as Christmas music at its very best, and I think I agree. A little bit of sacred, some classic, and a flavor of jazz doesn't get any better. That's the album we've been listening to, O Emmanuel, a collaboration by Dynamic Catholic and pianist and composer J.J. Wright that also features the angelic voices of the Notre Dame Children's Choir and the talented Fifth House Ensemble. And to tell us all about it, I am now joined all the way from Rome, Rome, Italy, J.J. Wright. Uh, J.J., welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks so much for having me, Deacon Pedro. I appreciate it. So how did this, this was your idea, so how did this idea c- come about? Yeah, the the idea first started as a uh, as a collaboration between myself and the director of the Notre Dame Children's Choir, uh-huh. and he was looking for a piece. Uh, just a little background on the choir: they're in they're an ecumenical Christian group based out of South Bend, Indiana, yeah. at the University of Notre Dame. And the idea behind the choir is that if if we can um, if we can create a really great uh, sacred music education system for children all the way from age two through high school. Um, we're really securing uh, a bright future for sacred music in the church because these kids are developing the skills necessary not only to become musicians but also to become active participants in their in their faith life. Right. Um, so Mark was looking for a piece of music that would really uh, help the choir um, engage in a deep a deeper way with Advent, and we he started with an idea like like the uh, Handel's Messiah. Yeah, and from there we were kind of going back and forth, and um, and he was really hoping that we could include some jazz since my background uh, is in jazz. And, right. Um, I, I, you know, I stumbled on these O antiphons, and from there um, they just kind of, you know, took hold of my imagination, and and we both fell in love with the texts, and that was that was sort of the genesis of the project originally. Okay, so then, so for people who are, we've only we've heard two songs already in the program. Um, uh, explain a little bit. So the the idea was to base the album around the O antiphons. Tell tell us for people who are not familiar with those what what those are. Yeah. So the o, the O antiphons are a set of prayers uh, uh, from Vespers during the final days of Advent. Yeah. Uh, Vespers is evening prayer, and these particular texts they go along with the Magnificat, which is the uh, sort of the exhortation that Mary says when she goes to visit Elizabeth. Yes. And um, and these um, particular antiphons are very ancient, uh, from at least the 5th century, we know. And yeah. uh, each text is associated with a, an original Gregorian chant melody, and they sort of have taken on their own life. Um, as, you know, we know them popularly through the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah, they sort of make up the verses the in verses, a metrical yeah. way for that tune, but... Uh, but yeah, it's a great set of texts, and they sort of they give these really illustrative and prophetic titles of Christ, and, and sort of describe his coming. They get us in the mode of being prepared for Christmas. Right. So did you have to did you have to find one musical piece for each of the antiphons? Did you have to write any music? How did you find the, the musical pieces? Yeah, it's all originally composed music, and okay. so I yeah, and so I used I used the original Gregorian chants as as inspiration. And, and I really studied them, um, you know, in a deep way. But um, what I wanted to do was illuminate these texts with new music so that they could really come alive, you know, through the voices of the children. Right. Okay. So no, and it's, and it's fabulous. Um, so, so you told us a little bit about the children's choir. 
they they are fabulous. Now tell us a bit about the the musicians. The, who are the the Fifth House Ensemble? Yeah, Fifth House Ensemble. They're a a new music group. So they focus on performing new newly composed music. They're based out of Chicago, uh, Chicago, Illinois, and they um, they're just a fabulous group of musicians to work for and work with. I mean, they yeah. you know they're world class musicians, and they you know they come and they are prepared at the highest level and you know, also just great people to be around. And so um, it was really a privilege to be able to collaborate with them on this. But they're classical, like it's a chamber music group? or Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah it's like a chamber group. But, you know, in this sort of this world of newly composed music, there's all sorts of different influences that are finding their way into what would be traditionally called classical music. And so right. um, they're, they're extremely um, versatile musicians. And they can, you know, I put put music in front of them that has jazz on it and, you know, that's not normally a thing that classical musicians would be comfortable right. with, but they were totally fine with it. So, I know, I know, I know, I know a cello, cello, a classical cellist playing a, a jazz bass line. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. uh, and you're, you're the, you're the, the jazz piano that we hear in the recording. That's right. Yeah. And my, my jazz piano trio, uh, is, you know, part of the, part of the fabric of the piece. So it's piano, okay. bass, and drums. Okay, yeah. so, so then you guys are part of it. Um, and then some of the pieces also have some adult voices. Who are they? Yeah, so uh, we have a soprano, alto, tenor, and bass uh, soloist. And um, Arwen Myers is the soprano. Laura Thorison is the mezzo-soprano. Brian Tui is the tenor. And David Farwick is the baritone. And, yeah, they're professional singers. Um, you know, they make their career singing singing solo right. music and singing in choirs and... Uh, and the idea behind having adults too is that I, by including children's voices with adult voices, I could sort of create these big, um, these big sort of diverse sections where uh-huh. uh, you know that one of the movements is you know, there. There's all this kind of stuttering and fear embedded in the adult voices, and then the children kind of come in with this exhortation uh, as like a little prayer. You know, come and free those 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 captive, those in prison, and. Um, so I, a lot of times I'm using the different voices to just bring out the um, the diversity of the text. Uh-huh. Good. And can you tell tell us a little bit about the whole record, recording process? Did you have everybody together in a concert hall type setting or did you have to Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, we used to, we we recorded on the university the campus of the University of Notre Dame okay. and they have a beautiful professional sound stage there that that, that we were able to use and um and the producer and engineer uh, from Five Four Productions—they're, you know, they've won tons of Grammys. They're yeah. just incredibly professional and oh, awesome sorry. to work with, and they really, in, in many ways, made the project possible because, you know, when when at the biggest moments of the piece, there's 50 people on the stage, That's and great. when you're trying to get the music just right, you, you really need to have somebody who's done it a lot of times to to keep everybody's nerves in order. Right. Um, so. maybe just, uh, I, I'm, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're an advent. I'm one of those people that, that, that tries to stay, stay away from the Christmas music and try to focus yeah. on advent. It's not easy to find advent music, um, except right. for, you know, O come Emmanuel and O come divine Messiah. Um, I'm, but yeah. there are other pieces that, what, how do you think music can help us kind of enter into that spirit that leads us towards Christmas? You know, I think that just the very act of listening to music is one of those things that can help us enter more deeply into the season. You yeah. know, the idea of listening is, you know, really opens us up to to be able to hear the word of God in this season. 
And, you know, I think that especially, and my hope at least is, is with this music that if, if people take the time to really give it a shot and, and give it a listen, um, it will help them enter more and understand more about the season and, and get their hearts in a, in a place that's more ready for, for the coming of Christmas. And so, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's uh, thank you for saying that. I would have never thought of it that way, that, that, Advent especially is about listening, um, and what yeah. better way? I mean, than than the music, and and even better if it's really good music. So thank you for um, for putting this together, and and uh, I'm hoping that there are other collaborations in the works. I know you're in Rome right yeah. now, so I hope that that means that you're working on something new. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, JJ. Thank you, thank you for what you do and for sharing your music with us. Thanks again for having me, Deacon. I appreciate it. J.J. Wright is a Grammy Award-winning pianist, conductor, and composer. O. Emanuel is published by Dynamic Catholic, and you can learn more and purchase the album at oemanuel.com. Make sure you spell Emanuel with two M's, oemanuel.com. Here now is one last song from O. Emanuel featuring the Notre Dame Children's Choir and the Fifth House Ensemble, and, of course, J.J. Wright on piano and conducting. The song is titled, Orients. listening to Orients from the new Dynamic Catholic Advent and Christmas album, O Emmanuel. And that will bring us to the end of the program this week. Remember that you can always reach us via email, Facebook, or Twitter at Salt and Light TV. Yes, and you can reach me, Deacon Pedro, through Facebook or Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And I'm on Twitter at Emmy Callen. And remember that if you missed any part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs. Where, Emily? Everyone knows Pedro <laughs> at our webpage, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's it. And that's also where we post links to our artists or guests. And I think that we can also tell people that if they really like the show, they can donate to Salt and Light specifically so we can produce this program. Just specify that your donation is for the Salt and Light Radio Hour. Yeah, that would be great. All the information is found at... Where, Emily? Everyone knows Pedro. Saltandlighttv.org. Saltandlighttv.org. That's it. That's also where you can find our electronic, the electronic version of our magazine with the two articles from Emily. Yes, check it out. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Deacon Pedro. And I'm Emily Callan. And this has been the, the Salt, Salt and Light, Light Hour. Hour.